This is an achingly sincere act of storytelling from an artist who seems concerned about what the world that he helped build will look like when he is gone. That's Barry Hertz of Globe and Mail talking about The Boy and the Huron, one of our feature reviews this week. In fact, we've got three feature reviews. One of them, The Color Purple, is even in theaters until Christmas. An early review two weeks from now, the musical hitting the big screen. And also our other feature review, Napoleon. As expected, I finally got that screener excited to discuss all that Joaquin Phoenix and Ridley Scott have to offer. As always, appreciate all of you here on Cinefama. My man, Chris Cody, unavailable today. He's too busy. We've got meetings, uh, you know, holiday cheer, a lot going on at Metalark. So unfortunately, Cody, not available today. But uh, hopefully he'll be with us next week. Next week, huge episode. Um Iron Claw, which is a terrific wrestling drama, which I've seen. The Zone of Interest, L.A. Film Critics, giving it best picture there. A lot of buzz around that film. I've also watched that DVD sent to me by A24. Thank you very much. And hopefully a couple more to crank out. George Clooney's The Boys in the Boat. I'm staring at that DVD right now. And also Ferrari from Michael Mann. Just got that DVD. Adam Driver, Penelope Cruz, opening Christmas morning. So hopefully four new movies next week, in addition to what you've all been waiting for, my top 10 films of 2023. So I'm going to crank it up and try to get all that done for you next week. And then, of course, we take a week off after that and come back hitting our stride hard here in the new year. No old movies this week, but our wild card's an absolute beauty. Patricia Clarkson, Oscar nominated, Tony Award nominated, Emmy winner. Like She's unbelievable. And that was such a great thrill to talk to her. She's in a new movie called Monica which is about a trans woman going home to visit her ailing mother, Patricia Clarkson playing the ailing mother. She is a wonderful actress, and she has stories about working with Martin Scorsese on Shutter Island. George Clooney, good night and good luck. Brian De Palma, her first feature film role in The Untouchables, opposite Kevin Costner. You're going to love Patty, as she's referred to by friends and family. That interview is coming up here momentarily. Once again, please go to Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Appreciate all of your support. Uh, for Cinephile, not only this year, but in years to come. We're, yes, we're now over episode 300. Uh, and I hope you enjoyed previous episodes as well. We've had lots of good stuff here recently in the pod. So if you see something like, go back and listen to previous episodes. Sebastian Maniscalco, particularly last week, very enjoyable, along with Omar Dorsey, especially the fact that Maniscalco and I, if not doppelgangers, definitely a resemblance. And of course, my thoughts on Maestro. I got to shut up my buddy Cabby. He was right. He thought I was too generous in my review of Maestro, Three Rape Beliefs. He said, listening to what you said, that does not sound like a three Maple Leaf movie. He's right. I'm downgrading that baby down to two and a half Maple Leafs, and I'll fix that when I tweet it out as well. Two and a half for Bradley Cooper, fellow Eagles fans. Smarting after a tough weekend loss against the Cowboys. Cody, perhaps that's why he's not available today. The Dolphins flew. Devastating after that Monday night loss against the Titans. No, seriously, he is actually very busy with Metal Arc and meetings and such. And hopefully we ramp up towards the Critics' Choice Awards, which are coming out in January. I'm hoping to secure a... Maybe a 32D seat out of my own pocket, head to the Critics' Choice Awards. I haven't been there for a few years. Last time I was there, me and Brett Oss hanging out with Ray Seahorn and uh, Bob Odenkirk, the rest of the gang from Better Call Saul. But speaking of awards, the Critics' Choice nominations, I had to hand in my ballot. So I gave my list for you know my picks for the nominations. Again, the nominations for the Critics' Choice Awards will be announced later this week. But the Golden Globe nominees did indeed come out. Barbenheimer. Cementing its place among top four Oscar contenders alongside poor things and of course killers of the flower moon. So this really is a time to dive into the all the awards prognostications. Here's the great news. New York Film Critics kicks it off right away. They go, you know, we're going to be the first ones December 1st, letting you know what the best films of the year are. And what's the best picture of the year in their estimation? Killers of the Flower Moon. Unbelievable. Best director, 
Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, setting up the race we've all been expecting. Marty versus Chris Nolan. L.A. film critics, they go best picture, the zone of interest. Wow. Holocaust drama. And Jonathan Glazer, also for best director. Unbelievable. They also don't go best actor, best actress. They go gender neutral. So four women win the awards there. Amazing. Love the Boston Society of Film Critics. What do they do? They went the holdovers best picture and Paul Giamatti best actor. Amazing. Love those choices there. So, again, all these these lists come careening in. New York, Boston, L.A., Critics' Choice later this week, and the Golden Globe nominations have indeed come in. Greta Gerwig's Barbie is where we begin. Ten nominations. Second most nominated in the 81-year history of the Golden Globe. It's unbelievable. Tying with Cabaret. Oppenheimer, eight nominations. Released in the same weekend, as you all know. So, Barbenheimer clearly coming through. As far as the top drama prize is concerned, again, for the uninitiated, the way they work at the Golden Globes is it's not just one. It's, of course, Best Picture Comedy or Musical and Best Picture Drama. So the top drama prize, Killers of the Flower Moon, awesome. Maestro, good, not great. Anatomy of a Fall, terrific. Foreign film, excellent. The Zone of Interest, I've seen it. I'll review it for you next week. And Past Lives, wonderful film. Barbie for Best Comedy or Musical up against Air, Ben Affleck's film, American Fiction which you should be able to see rolling out now in theaters. I've already given it four Maple Leafs. Poor Things, I also gave, I think I gave it three and a half. Maybe it was four Maple Leafs. Who knows? It was a great film. May, December, which is available right now on Netflix. Todd Haynes' film and the aforementioned The Holdovers. So love seeing those options there. As far as the TV is concerned, real quick, Succession did very well. A leading nine nominations for its final season. The Bear and Only Murders in the Building, second most nominated shows with five nods apiece. Thrilled for Steve Martin and Marty Short, both nominated. Best drama race, you got 1923, Last of Us, Morning Show, The Crown, The Diplomat. Best comedy, I'm pulling hard for Only Murders in the Building, or Barry. Could be Abbott Elementary, Jury Duty, Ted Lasso, or The Bear. Who knows? As far as movies that were completely shut out, Ava DuVernay's Origin, which I can't wait to watch. I also have that DVD. Haven't got around to it yet. Shut out. And Michael Mann's Ferrari, which, as I mentioned off the top, I hope to watch this week and review it for you all next week. Nothing for either of those films. Plus, The Color Purple did not get a Best Musical or Comedy nomination. That's a genuine surprise there. And on the smaller screen, the reboot of Frasier. Nothing. How about that? Kelsey Grammer, feeling pretty good about his life. Previous guest in the Levitard show. Can't even get a nomination for the reboot. Just so so desperate for any sort of achievements. I mean, wasn't it enough that Frasier hogged all the Emmy Awards? And that was Seinfeld's point. It's like, it's a good show. But every year they would beat us. Like, come on. How the hell did Seinfeld not win more than just one comedy series Emmy? Frazier always routing it. Nuts. Anyways, the Globes also choose two new prizes to celebrate box office achievements and stand-up comedy performances. So that means films like Taylor Swift, The Eras Tour, John Wick Chapter 4, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 being recognized for their ticket sales, while the likes of Trevor Noah, Amy Schumer, Ricky Gervais getting attention for their stand-up specials. Spinelli's going to love that. Stand-up getting some love. That's great to see. In case you're curious, last year's top Globes went to the Fablemans and the Banshees of Inner Sharon. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that didn't line up with the Oscars. No, it did not. The Oscars selected everything, everywhere, all at once as best picture. The Globes voted on by roughly 300 journalists, a lot more than it used to be, right? Everyone knows the whole controversy with the Golden Globes. There was only like 50 members, no women, no people of color. Now they're up to 300. But the Academy of Motion Picture, Arts and Sciences, the Oscars, Ampass, that's 10,500 people. So it's not even close. 300 for the Globes, 10,500 here. 
regardless, the Globes will take place January 7th, broadcast live on CBS. The award ceremony's new network home also available on Paramount Plus. So it's one of the few award shows, you know, people get loose a little bit. You get drunk. Obviously, Gervais has been unbelievable. Christine Lottie, Renee Zellweger, late accepting the prizes because of ill-timed bathroom breaks. Hey, it happens. Once again, best motion picture drama. Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Past Lives, The Zone of Interest, and Anatomy of a Fall. Musical or comedy, Barbie, Poor Things, American Fiction, The Holdovers, May, December, and Air. Best director, let's go. Marty's got to win. He's up against Celine Song for Past Lives. Excellent nomination. Nolan, obviously, as expected for Oppenheimer. Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things. Bradley Cooper, Maestro. Again, I liked the film. I didn't love it, but it's well-directed. And Greta Gerwig for Barbie. Who thought when Barbie came out, this is going to be a film that's going to be nominated for Best Director at the Golden Globes. Those are your six nominees. Again, the Oscars will do five. Best Screenplay. Here's one difference with the Globes and the Oscars. The Oscars separates into two, which I prefer, original screenplay and adapted screenplay. They just do one category here at the Globes. Barbie is up for Best Screenplay Motion Picture. Again, Greta Gerwig, another nomination along with her husband, Noah Baumbach. Poor Things, Tony McNamara. Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan. The one that should win, Killers of the Flower Moon, Eric Roth, and Martin Scorsese. Past Lives, Celine Song, and Anatomy of a Fall. Wow, Justin Trier and Arthur Harari getting the nomination. Real omission there, David Hemmingson not nominated for the holdovers. I think he might win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Somehow does not get nominated for a Golden Globe. Figure it out. Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture Drama, Bradley Cooper. For Maestro, Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer, Leonardo DiCaprio, Let's Go, Killers of the Flower Moon, Coleman Domingo, who is fantastic in Rustin, Andrew Scott, haven't seen it at All of Strangers, All of the Strangers, excuse me, and I haven't seen Barry Coggan in Saltburn. Saltburn has gotten some mixed reviews, very divisive, from Emerald Fennel, Academy Award winner for Promising Young Woman. Some people love it, call it disturbing, deranged. Paul Schrader, one of my favorite filmmakers, buried it. Facebook posts called it a bad movie. That's why I love Paul Schrader. just doesn't give a crap. Like, I'm just going to say right now, this movie sucks. But except for a Best Actor nomination, regardless. Best Performance by an Actress in a Motion Picture Drama. Lily Gladstone should win. She's up for Killers of the Flower Moon. Carrie Mulligan, also terrific in Maestro. Sandra Hewler, wonderful. Anatomy of a Fall. Annette Benning nyad haven't seen it yet. On my list, I'll get to it. It's on Netflix. Greta Lee, Past Lives, marvelous. And Kelly Spaney, Priscilla, haven't seen it. Again, I have the DVD. I'll get to it at some point. Best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Fantasia Barino, The Color Purple. Terrific. I'll review it for you next week. Jennifer Lawrence, No Hard Feelings. This might be the worst Golden Globe nomination. Full frontal scene gets punched in the puss. Horrible. $25 million. That's not a worthy nomination. Natalie Portman, wonderful, in May, December. Alma Puisti, Fallen Leaves. Haven't seen it. Haven't even heard of it. Margot Robbie, Barbie, of course. And the winner of this category, in my opinion, Emma Stone for Poor Things. Best performance by an actor in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. Nicholas Cage, Dream Scenario. Yes! Great return to form for Cage. He's so funny. Very absurdist film. Timothee Chalamet, Wonka. Have the DVD. Haven't seen it yet. Matt Damon, Air. Very good. Giamatti, The Holdovers. He should win. Joaquin Phoenix, Bo is Afraid. Haven't seen it. Have the DVD. Jeffrey Wright, American Fiction. Amazing. If it's not Giamatti, it should be Jeffrey Wright winning. And Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture. Willem Dafoe, Poor Things. Just that face is so gruesome. Let's go, Willem. De Niro, Killers of the Flower Moon, should win. Robert Downey Jr., Oppenheimer, probably will win. Ryan Gosling is nominated for Barbie. Charles Melton, surprise nomination for May, December. He's getting some buzz. Maybe he gets an Oscar nomination. And honestly, if it's not for De Niro, I'd vote for this guy. Mark Ruffalo, scene-stealing in Poor Things. Best Supporting Actress, Motion Picture. 
Emily Blunt Oppenheimer. Don't think that's a great nomination. I did not think she was particularly strong in the movie, nor was the role particularly well written by Nolan. Whatever, she's nominated. Danielle Brooks, incredible singing, The Color Purple. Jodie Foster, Nyad. I have the DVD. It's on Netflix. I haven't seen it yet. Julianne Moore, May, December. Excellent. Rosamund Pike, Saltburn. Very divisive film. Somehow she gets a nomination. And the one who should win and will win, Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. An outstanding film. Uh, the rest of these are all TV nominees. So I'm not going to get into it. But again, I'm, I'm happy to see Succession did well, particularly for Best Actor. Kieran Culkin, Jeremy Strong, and Brian Cox, all nominated for Best Actor. Best Actress, Sarah Snook is nominated. Uh, Best Actress, Musical or Comedy. I like the fact that Rachel Brosnan was nominated for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Otherwise, not a strong showing for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Final season, couldn't even get a nomination for Best Television Series, Musical or Comedy. Uh, it's basically just Brosnan trying to carry the torch now. And again, as I mentioned earlier, best actor, TV series, musical, or comedy, loaded category. Siegel for shrinking, probably the worst one. Sudeikis, Ted Lasso, Jeremy Allen White, the bear. People love the bear. They won't shut up about the bear. I'm hoping for Marty Short or Steve Martin or Bill Hader. Uh, again, supporting actor, succession. Love seeing this. Three actors nominated from succession for supporting actor. Alexander Skarsgård, Matthew McFadden, who should win, and Alan Ruck. Loved him in Spin City. Thrilled that he got an Emmy nomination for Succession, playing the weakest of the Roy brothers. And supporting actress television, Meryl Streep. That's all I got to say. She's up for only murders in the building. If it's not her, J. Smith Cameron. Excellent in Succession. The other surprise, because I'm watching it right now, is Fargo. And I, I didn't know if it already, you know, there's only been like three episodes. I think four episodes have aired so far. And yeah, it's up for the Globe. It's amazing. It's up for best limited series. It's up against all the light we cannot see, which is probably the favorite beef. Also got rave reviews, but love seeing John Hamm nominated again for a Golden Globe. He is up for Fargo in the latest season. Juno Temple also nominated for Fargo. A category I think people always enjoy, best original score. If you like your music, it's got to be Robbie Robertson for Killers of the Flower Moon. Incredible score for the late Canadian. Also could be some other options here. The Boy and the Hero and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, The Zone of Interest, Poor Things, that's a good score. Jerskin Fendrix or Ludwig Gordonson. For Oppenheimer, that score is omnipresent. No one loves just, just the score all over the place. Best picture, again, for the foreign films. It should be Anatomy of a Fall, but I do look forward to seeing Fallen Leaves. Past Lives, also extraordinary. Let's be honest. That's a good category. Society of the Snow is on Netflix. Haven't seen it yet. Film from Spain and The Zone of Interest, which I am reviewing next week. Best original song motion picture. A lot of buzz around this. Why? Because Barbie's dominating this category. What Was I Made For by Billie Eilish. Dance the Night. I think it should be that one. Dua Lipa. Springsteen's up. Yes. Addicted to Romance is a song from the movie She Came to Me. I mean, Bruce is in. Bruce is going to win. Lenny Kravitz. How about Star Power? Road to Freedom from Rustin. Perhaps it's Ryan Gosling singing I'm Just Ken for Barbie. But honestly, when I look at these nominees, six nominees, it's got to be Peaches. Jack Black, the Super Mario Brothers. Best motion picture animated, The Boy and the Huron. I'm about to review it. Elemental, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, Super Mario Brothers movie, and Wish. Seen them all except for Wish. Best performance in a stand-up comedy or television. Gervais, Trevor Noah, Chris Rock, Amy Schumer, Sarah Silverman, Wanda Sykes. I love that category, right? Why can't the Golden Globes recognize stand-up? They're doing so. Yay to the Golden Globes. And cinematic and box office achievement. For the next person sometimes says, all these awards are so damn snooty. How about the movies that just make a ton of money? Well, here you go. It's Barbie, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, John Wick Chapter 4, Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, Oppenheimer, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, the Super Mario Brothers movie, or how about this? Taylor Swift, The Era's Tour. Bow down to the Swifties. T-Swizzle might win a Golden Globe. I disagree, though. It should be Oppenheimer or John Wick Chapter 4. 
That is your nominees as far as the Golden Globes is concerned. As far as the movies this week, because this is always a little bit challenging, Napoleon. The reason I mentioned it's challenging is that I didn't read any of the reviews for it. As I've said to you guys previously, I don't read the reviews till after I review the movie. But I was very interested with Napoleon because I was not in a rush to see the film. Divisive on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, for those who don't know, 60% or above is a positive review. It's like 59%, which is not what you're expecting for a Ridley Scott film. This is a filmmaker, as my boy Cabby said, he's a volume shooter. Like Ridley Scott just pours every year on making another movie. And sometimes you get a great film like The Last Duel. Not enough people saw it. Ben Affleck, Matt Damon's script, both started. Excellent. But sometimes he's just mailing it in. House of Gucci. Yeah, that's that movie for much of it's just a flaming turd, with the exception of Jared Leto, who's fantastic. And of course, Pacino, marvelous. Lady Gaga having fun, I suppose. But this guy's just always cranking out movies. Every year, Ridley Scott's guy's 85 years old. And so when I see 59%, I go, that's that's alarming. Maybe I'll read some reviews. But no, I want to watch the film first. I'll make my own damn decisions. But also the audience reviews on Rotten Tomatoes also around 59%. So the audience doesn't like it. The critics didn't like it. What the hell happened? Here's the story. An epic that details the checkered rise and fall of French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte and his relentless journey to power through the prism of his addictive, volatile relationship with his wife, Josephine. And what a surprise. You're watching a film called Napoleon. And I'll get to Joaquin Phoenix in a second. But Vanessa Kirby is enchanting. Wonderful actress, uh, previously nominated for an Oscar. I just think she's somebody who you can't keep your eyes off. She plays Josephine. And you know that it's going to be an odd relationship, to say the least. Like Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with her as Napoleon Bonaparte. They get together, bends her over from behind, 10 seconds of thrusting, and says, may this moment of joy result in a son. Really? Not really sure it was a moment of joy for her. 10 seconds of being bent over and you're grunting. Later on again. You know, she tells him, I'm not in the mood. I'm kind of tired. I have a fever. So he's like, no, we have to. We, we, I have to create this child. And he just starts grunting at her. <laughs> and this is why I'm curious to read these reviews. Like, I, clearly, there's some intentional comedy here. If it's unintentional comedy, maybe that's what the reviews are criticizing. But this this has to be played for comedy. Napoleon wants to get it on the way he's letting his wife know just by leering at her, sneering and grunting. He's like, all right, all right, fine. And he's reaching around the attention. He goes, feel it. Feel it. This is yours. This is yours. I'm like, oh, my God. And again, thrusting, grunting. May this result in a son. But her womb, to quote Tony Montana in Scarface, her womb is so polluted. (laughs) She's incapable of having a child. That pisses off Napoleon to no end. And then while he's away, soldiering, trying to conquer for the great country of France, she has an affair. Like she's banging some other guy. And I'm like, oh, my God, you're going to do that to Napoleon? The scene where he finds it, he's he's being told by one of his his comrades who says, listen, don't get mad. I got news for you. He's like, "Uh uh-huh. She's having an affair. And he starts hysterically laughing. Like, because even he can't believe it. Are you joking? She's cheating on me. I'm Napoleon. He comes back and needless to say, it's not pleasant. But their relationship I found fascinating. Now, maybe some of the criticism of the film is that's not historically accurate, to which Ridley Scott kind of said, go blow yourself. I have no idea. I mean, I'm watching this film on its own merit. I don't know much about Napoleon. All I know is I'm just watching this as a film. And as a film, I was entertained for much of it, particularly the battle scenes. You know, Ridley Scott is going to bring it when it comes to the Battle of Waterloo which closes the film. Like, no, There's going to be some epic scenes. This guy made Gladiator. He knows what to do when it comes to a, a swords and sandals epic, so to speak. And there's some incredible choreography and some stirring action sequences. And most notably, I watched this damn movie on my phone. Think about that. I'm at the winter meetings in Nashville, Tennessee. For the sake of cinephiles, I've got to watch this movie. I don't have a laptop with me, and I can't watch it, obviously, on the TV. If I was at home, I would watch it on the laptop. It's marginally better. Watching Napoleon on a phone? I I should lose my credentials. 
in the Critics' Choice Awards, but I had to do it. Got to be loyal here to the cinephile audience. I got to get it in. And I'm just telling you, the action scenes on my phone were impressive. I can't imagine on my laptop, much less a 72-inch television, much less a gigantic screen. I'm going to go run out and go watch Napoleon, pay $14.50 just to watch that final action sequence, which was amazing. There's also another action sequence. I believe it's Ancaster, which is phenomenal, halfway through the movie. So on the basis of two outstanding action sequences and some rather amusing unintentional comedy and the always excellent acting of Vanessa Kirby, I'm recommending Napoleon. How dare I? Three Maple Leafs. I thought it was a good film. At times, a very good film. And Joaquin Phoenix... Again, he's got to be playing this for laughs. The one scene, he gets mad at the British and he goes, you guys think you're so special because you have boats. He's pleading like a child. It's hysterical. because They they had to be laughing on the set. This has to be tongue in cheek. You think you're special because you have boats. One aspect I was surprised by, if you see Napoleon, I'm picturing a pygmy. I'm picturing the smallest man alive. I'm picturing Kevin Hart, right? Napoleon complex. That's what comes to mind. And Joaquin Phoenix does not look abnormally short in this film. I have no idea how tall he is. He's played Johnny Cash. And again, I was at the Cash Museum, as you all know, for those who listened to last week's episode. Go check it out. Phenomenal time. I, Johnny Cash was tall. And I feel like Joaquin Phoenix, just, just off the top of my head, most of these guys are not tall. But if I had to guess his height, I'm seeing he's around six feet tall. I'm probably wrong. He's probably like 5'10". But point is, how tall was Napoleon? For him to have Napoleon complex, I just Googled. Joaquin Phoenix is 5'8". Okay, I was wrong. I, I, I thought he was taller. But most of these guys are pretty short. I'm 5'8", so I can say that. Napoleon, though, I mean, he's got to be, he was 5'6". Okay, not, 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 if Google is to be believed, then it wasn't that bad. As I'm watching the film expecting to look diminutive, and it's say he looked like a normal guy. But 5'6", 5'8", what's the big difference? Bottom line is this, I enjoyed Napoleon, despite the fact not as many other people seem to. Ty Burr, my favorite film critic, Ty Burr's watch list. In the end, you get your money's worth. An extravaganza and cannon fire but not nearly enough of the charismatic personalities and bravura filmmaking, a project this gargantuan needs. Incredible blurb. I somewhat disagree with him. Odie Henderson of Boston Globe, who loves to bury a film, it relies far too often on the little man, big temper idea of Napoleon. At times, Phoenix is practically channeling an angry Donald Duck mid-meltdown. Yes. And the scenes between the two lovers make them seem more like robots emulating human beings. I disagree. I thought they have good chemistry, and it's bizarre to say the least, which is at the very least entertaining. James Bardinelli of Real Views, although the film has its share of high points, there are more misses than hits, resulting in a two-and-a-half-hour experience that provokes frustration at a missed opportunity. Perhaps. Next up, The Boy and the Heron. Free tickets were sent to me. Thanks once again to the studio. Fantastic. They go, we'll send you the DVD, but if you want a free movie, we'll hook you up. I'm like, great. Paramus Theater. Done. Although I never should have gone Saturday at 4 o'clock. Are you kidding me? Two weeks away from Christmas? A mall in New Jersey? Oh, Horrific. Horrific. Takes 10 minutes to get there, 20 minutes to park. We missed the first five minutes of the movie. Think about that. The movie starts at four. That's 20 minutes of nonsense of trailers and commercials. And we still missed five minutes. We sat down at 425. But slushy in hand, Adin was ready to go. A young boy named Mahito, yearning for his mother, ventures into a world shared by the living and the dead. Their death comes to an end and life finds a new beginning. A semi-autobiographical fantasy from the mind of Hayao Miyazaki. You know one thing about anime and animation, people love Miyazaki. Spirited away, Princess Mononoke, the guy's an absolute legend. And they thought he'd retire me, so I'm coming back. I'm in my early 80s. I'm an octogenarian. I'm making one more kid's film. And it didn't always work for me. I found it a little long. I found it laborious at times. Right, just labored in the way it's trying to just inch to the finish line. This is a two-hour film. 
for a kid's film an anime dealing with these types of ideas, I found it a little strenuous, I'll be honest. But at the same time, I appreciate the vivid imagination and the fact that Miyazaki is one of one. There's no one else makes films like him. And people will love him. Like there's a cult of Miyazaki that people absolutely love him. It's also interesting in that it's Japanese film, but it was dubbed. So you've got the voice cast of like Christian Bale and others having to dub it over. You know, dubbing is always a little bit of a dicey proposition. But in this instance, I didn't particularly notice it. But it's weird and wonderful the way most Miyazaki films are. Particularly the heron is unreal. I mean, but Cole's notes of the story or Cliff's notes, if one prefers. The boy loses his mother, is intent on finding her. The reason it's called the boy and the heron is that's this gigantic bird, which is a man trapped in a bird. Like just this disgusting human, gigantic schnoz, looks pimpled, full of pus, red. So you've got the beak, but then you've got this face just coming out of the, out of the bird. It's really tough to describe here in a podcast. So by all means, go watch the movie, The Boy and the Heron, watch the trailer, or just Google The Heron, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Beak sticking out, and there's a human head inside of it. What do you want from me? And he's just complaining. Guy's a total dick. Like You think The Boy and the Heron, you think this could be a wonderful story, but a boy and an enchanting bird. No, he's devious, he's sinister, he's mischievous, and he cannot be trusted. And there's one amazing scene where there's a hole in his beak. And he's begging the boy, because you got to fix this. i got to be able to fly again. So they're getting like a piece of cork. Like they're out, out in the woods, right? A cork up. Some sort of fig. Just get it in there and just, just get a little fig tree. Let's plug that sucker up so I can fly again. And what he ends up doing is he just swallows his own face, shoves it down into his body. And then he becomes a bird again. Then the beak is resurrected. He can fly. This is the kind of stuff that Miyazaki's giving you. It's just a further example that anybody who not quite dabbles in animation but dives in deep, has got to be on some drugs, right? They have to have dropped acid at some point. I'm throwing out character assassination now, Miyazaki. What the hell? It's a weird film, but in many ways, like I said, it's wonderful, and it's certainly memorable, and I think if you like Miyazaki, you're going to love it. Peter Rayner of Film Week. Miyazaki really marshals everything he's noted for. In a way, there's too many good ideas in this film. Ouch. And Andrea Thompson, Chicago reader, Hayao Miyazaki's latest isn't perfect, but it's full of the magic that viewers have come to expect. We'll get to our wild card, Patricia Clarkson, in just a second. But first, one more review, and it's The Color Purple. And you're saying, wait, The Color Purple, it's back? The 1985 film, which Hal Stevens, my Uber driver in Nashville, said, that's the greatest injustice in the history of the Academy Awards. I said, what? It's got to be Scorsese losing for Raging Bull to ordinary people. No, Scorsese losing for Goodfellas to dance with those. No, it's got to be Shakespeare in Love beating Saving Private Ryan. Egregious. No, it's Spielberg. 11 nominations for The Color Purple, and he was not nominated for Best Director. It's as if the film directed itself. Hal may have a point. But the good news is the musical is back. A decade-spanning tale of love and resilience and of one woman's journey to independence. Celie faces many hardships in her life, but ultimately finds extraordinary strength and hope in the unbreakable bonds of sisterhood. It's from director Blitz Bazawuli and from writers Marcus Gadley, Alice Walker, of course, wrote the very famous Color Purple, and Marsha Norman. First off, kudos to the entire team for coming up with this idea. Very inventive. This is a very painful story about a black woman who is mistreated and cruelly abused for the entirety of her life. And to take that inside out and say, we're making a musical out of this. We're taking your pain and suffering, and we're going to show the joy that arose from it and the way she was able to find goodness and compassion in life. And you've got good performances all over the place. Fantasia Barino, who we all know can sing. She's Sealy. But the two that are going to get potentially Oscar nominations, Taraji P. Henson was snubbed for a Golden Globe nomination. She plays Suge Ivory. What's up, Suge? 
And the real story is Danielle Brooks and Sophia. What a voice. To me, the strength of a musical has got to be in the music. Does the music sing? Does it have passion and sway? Yes. Thanks to those three female performances, Fantasia Barino, Taraji P. Henson, and Danielle Brooks, it brings it, particularly Brooks. When she gets going in a couple of her solos, forget about it. Also worthy of mention, Coleman Domingo, who I loved in Rustin. He's due for a Best Actor nomination. Golden Globe nomination he got. He plays Mr. He's had a strong year. He's, he's a crass human. He's filthy. But again, a memorable performance in another period piece. Coleman Domingo is one guy to watch. Other names you know, David Allen Greer's in the movie. Yes, Reverend Avery showing up. What's up, Jumanji? And John Batiste as well from Grady. So this is an excellent cast. But again, I'll be honest. For a musical, it's running time. I did feel. I felt at times it was a little bit bloated. And as good as the musical sequences are and the dancing, the choreography, I can only give it two and a half Maple Leafs because the spoken word sections of the dialogue, to me, weren't nearly as successful. So I'm not surprised it missed out on a Best Picture, Most in Picture, Comedy or Musical nomination from the Golden Globes because in some ways I was a little bit disappointed. Again, I recommend it for the triumvirate of female performances and the music as well is genuinely joyous. But as a film itself, I did not think it was one of the best films of the year, which you normally expect of a film like this coming out as a Christmas Day release. Color Purple coming out in a couple of weeks. I'll give it two and a half Maple Leafs. So to recap, Napoleon, three Maple Leafs. The Boy and the Huron, two and a half Maple Leafs. The Color Purple, two and a half Maple Leafs. And Maestro revisited two and a half Maple Leafs. In case you're keeping score. Somebody must be out there keeping track of all of my Maple Leafs. Hopefully you're keeping track of our special guest. She's wonderful. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Let's bring in the legend that is Patricia Clarkson, Oscar nominee, Golden Globe nominee, three-time Emmys, uh, one Tony Award nomination for Elephant Man. She's literally done it all, and she's a terrific film called Monica out right now. It's in theaters and also available anywhere you watch movies at home, Apple, iTunes, Amazon Prime, DirecTV, etc. Patricia, great to see you. Congrats on a terrific film. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just a big fan of yours because you know, you've characters with such dignity and in this movie you're playing an ailing woman uh was there anyone that you drew upon in terms of research or inspiration for the role well not any one person in particular i i did a little bit of research about brain cancer and how it manifests itself and you know sadly it's such a insidious disease and it can affect you in so many different ways but I, I actually 
approached her more as a broken woman, a woman who is in the final probably month of her life, um, a woman who is deteriorating physically, mentally, you know, a woman who lucidity is in and out because of the cancer and she didn't go through a second round. Um, and so I came at the part with a more of an emotional agenda and I kind of let my body, it's, it's, you know, it's interesting. It's one of the most difficult parts I've ever really encountered. And I wasn't quite sure when I said yes, um, that I could do it, but you know, at 63, um, and I've done so much work. I want to be challenged. You know, I want, I, when I talk to Andrea Palotto, just a brilliant director and a brilliant man and a kind man. And I said, you know, Andrea, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to really think this through. I'm just going to kind of let my body take over in the state that it will be. And so I said, there's going to be days on the set when I'm not sure which part of my body is working. And he said, I love that, Patty. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, Trace went along with it, too. You know, she's so gifted and lovely. And so every day was kind of this, this emotional search and this physical debilitation. And I just, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was difficult. But I, I, I wanted the challenge and I, and I took it on. And I'm, it's one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had in my career. That's very genuine. Again, I liked Andrea's style because it was so restrained and subtle and yet quietly moving. And you mentioned Trace, who's wonderful. This is a, it's a unique trans story. And I think you, I've seen stories about trans women and dealing with cruelty. But this one, in fact, is rooted in beauty instead. You know, there's obviously struggle and strife to get there. But that's why I thought was really powerful about it. What was it like working with Trace? Oh, she's a dream, um, beautiful, consummate actress. You know, she's we work in a very similar way. And, you know, from the moment I met her, I loved her and I felt maternal to her. So it was that was acting 101 for me. You know, I mean, you, I, I think, you know, we can only create so much as actors at a certain point, our life and our art do have to mix. And with Trace, that was easy. What was harder was to keep the love down at first. And then, of course, I let it out. But, you know, Trace, I, I was proud to be a part of this film. It's one of the reasons I said yes very quickly, that it would give, finally, a transgender actress the center of a film, tell her story, let me be the secondary character. Um, and uh, it was a privilege. And also, it was just so exciting when the transgender community embraced this film, uh, you know, fervently. I mean, there there was overwhelming success for this, uh, and overwhelming support and therefore success amongst the transgender community with our film. And nothing made me happier. Yeah, there's there's so many wonderful scenes as well. The other actors as well. The, the actor playing your son, I don't know his name offhand, but I love the scene where he's saying, you know, you look so His name is Josh Close. Josh. Is Josh. Full, it's Joshua Close, but I call him Josh. Josh, yeah. He's... Yeah. The story goes, oh, the light's so beautiful. Let me get a picture of you. And you go, oh, no, stop, stop. No more pictures. And he goes, no, I love you, Mom. And you go, I love you more. And he said, no, I made you. <laughs> and I said, that's such a wonderful, wonderful scene. I don't have any specific recollection of that scene, but I love Thank that. Thank you for bringing that scene up because that's one of my favorite scenes. And, and it's, again, one of the reasons I took this film. I, I love that you see that even though I struggled with 
my child who left, you know, 20 years ago, I, I was not a bad mother. I was unaccepting of the circumstances of my one child who left to really find herself, her true self. Mm -hmm. But I was not a bad mother. And I, you know, Josh, again, art and life came together. I have a deep, profound um, love for Josh. And uh, I love his wife. I met his wife. He's a big dog fanatic. So am I. And, <laughs> um, and, and so I, I, I really have um, just a tender heart about him because he's a really stunning actor and he looks so much like he could truly be my child. <laughs> I was like, um, I, I, I loved working with him. I, I hope to work with him again. He's the, 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 the depth of talent on this movie from Trace just to is the bomb you know, to Josh and to Adriana Barazza, the greatest, one of the greatest actresses of all time, coming in to do this very supporting part was just an Emily, Emily, beautiful, beautiful Emily. You know, it was just a dream come true, you know? Yeah, again, Monica, the film, it's available in theaters, anywhere you can watch movies at home. I'm curious, this is, it's important to this role as well. I think in general, your acting is in general, and maybe it goes back to that first part about using your body and different methods, but how are you able as an actor to convey so much by saying so little? Well, it is a challenge. You know, words uh, are, are often a tool and, and they are often a, an asset when we are acting. We have words to convey things. We have our body. We have a physicality to touch, to kiss, to reach. To and we have words to explain or to give rise to something, you know, emotion. But this part was so challenging because I had to have such the, the truth had to be so deep within me and with Trace that, you know, my friend, when he saw the film, he's my best friend and he was at the New York premiere and he he came up to me at the party and he said, Patty, you and Trace were like silent scream stars at times you, it was there were these massive moments and scenes with not a word i said yes i know i lived through them <laughs> but it made me a better actor i i called upon a new part of me as an actress and something that's rare we're, we're rarely that challenged anymore and but that's andrea but I also had Trace on the other side of me, who's, a you know, the depth and breadth that she has as an actress. And we could find the beauty in these scenes because I truly was connected to her in life. Mm -hmm. And I still am and always will be. Always passionate for the craft of acting. That's Patricia Clarkson. Again, Monica, the film in theaters and available at home wherever you get your movies. I'd love to hit you on a few of your other films. She's had such a wonderful career. Sure. Gunner Island is such a great movie. It's so oh. unearthly. What was it like working with Scorsese? Oh, and I look so good. I mean, I'm just so hot in that movie, honey. I mean, the troll in the cave, that's me. And, um, well, that's again, a, a, that's a benchmark in my life to work with, you know, one of the greatest, if not of all time, the still living greatest directors. And, you know, when your heroes don't disappoint you, it's it's a moment in your career and in your life when you show up on a set. And Marty, I'm friends with him now. And, and 
he's such a dear and he's a towering figure, but he's not. He's he is first and foremost. He loves actors. God bless him. <laughs> he really actually he cares for actors. He's he's inspired by us. He wants us to be great. He wants us to thrive and strive and be fabulous. So he creates this environment to let us just breathe and live and kind of explore and go crazy and come back and try it again. And, you know, I, I remember I said, look, I think I have a wound. And he was like, yes. And I said, I have a canteen. Get me. He was like, get her a canteen. You know, I mean, <laughs> and that's what you want. That's what you want in a director. You show up and and you are first and foremost in his mind of the scene. You're not, he's not involving you on the camera and this and that a little bit, but he just wants the character to come alive. Yeah. It was a dream. It was a dream to work with him, a dream. Yeah, it's amazing to think about directors, like you said, like Chris says, you are so passionate and, and know the craft. Yes. And as you said, actors. And I, I was amazed to look at your filmography. I said, oh, yeah, The Untouchables. You worked with the Oh, my Paul God. And yes. Kevin. <laughs> and that scene vividly when he goes, look at this guy. Look how serious he is. Look at this guy. And you go, he's got a lot on his mind. I mean, <laughs> that, <laughs> that's really early in your career. But God, I mean, to work with that was a very I was 25 years old. That was the very, very first movie I ever did in my life. Yeah. was this beautiful film. Um, Brian De Palma adored me. You know, I, I read with him for the part. I showed up. I went to a casting call with the great Lynn Strollmaster, who's since passed. But I then went back in, and there was a reader there, but I read with Brian De Palma. He read Elliot Ness with me. <laughs> and he liked this the juxtaposition of my kind of husky voice with my kind of sweet, Look, I don't know. It, it, you know, Brian, he's always looking for something outside the box. Yeah, and yeah. so he said, well, listen, you are I I'm flying you to Chicago to meet Kevin Costner. And I was doing a Broadway show at the time. And I said, well, we, you got to do it when I'm, you know, after my matinee or on a Monday <laughs> or something. You know, I mean, I'm doing a Broadway show. And we yeah. worked out a schedule and I went and met Kevin and I was cast right then and there in Chicago. I flew home. Like I didn't even need a plane. I flew home. I was so high. I was just like, I was sitting in first class, which I, you know, was probably, I think my first time in front. And I was just like, you know, and I, I got home and, and, and it was exciting. It was beautiful. It, it, that was my first experience. And uh, I'm thankful to how kind Brian De Palma was. That's no, incredible. Film. I, I always look at when I see actors today emerging, I always look back at when to me was when I was introduced to them. So I love the station agent so much. Oh, because yeah. Every time I see Peter Dinklage, you say Game of Thrones, you got to watch the station agent. Oh, no, Tommy. you got to you got to watch. It all started there, baby. I'm McCarthy when he won for Spotlight. He goes, oh, he's such a great writer. I said, you got to watch the station agent. That's a beautiful. You got to see this. I mean, I love Spotlight and I love Tom, but the station yeah. agent. I mean, for that to be his first film and I get this call. So Tom and I have the same agent and I get this call from agent saying, you know, Tom McCarthy, this actor, but he's he's written this movie um, for his friends, Peter Dinklage and Bobby Cannavale. And then he wrote this part for you. I was like, oh, my God, I, I didn't know any of them. Yeah. And I said, my goodness. And then I read it and I I remember I put it down and I started crying. I got kind of teary eyed. I said, 
I'm so in love with this movie. I cannot believe this man, I don't know, wrote this stunning part for me. And then I met Bobby Cannavale and I met Peter Dinklage and of course fell madly in love with both of them. <laughs> and we just, we set out, we had $500,000. We went to New Jersey. We all stayed in the, not the Holiday Inn, the, the Johnson, the uh, Howard Johnson, the Howard Johnson on the highway. Right. And I remember my room. I had this kind of big room as the Howard Johnson and a massive refrigerator. And I thought, is that for bodies? <laughs> In Jersey, <laughs> but we had, we were in this beautiful little town and we had that beautiful little train station and we had no time, no money, but we had Tom. We had beautiful Tom McCarthy leading the way and Peter Dinklage, who is a consummate actor, like just a great, great and bobby cannavale who is also in funny as hell and so we we get together at night at the howard johnson's and we sometimes have a little something to drink when we get back <laughs> because what else are you going to do at the howard johnson but uh we and we kind of had balconies overlooking the pool and we'd be like yay you know um it's just one of the most special moments of my life and my career yeah i mean clearly yeah it's an incredible film, and if people haven't seen it, shame on them. They got to see it. It's an yeah. absolute last one for you. Good night and good luck. I don't think it's a better uh, film on television. George Clooney, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, that whole cast. Beautiful film. Stunning, stunning cast. And you know, but then you have the one and only, the great, the great, great, great George Clooney, who, you know, for all of his fame, I mean, he is so famous. It's it's scary because now I've been around him and I went to Venice with him. You know, it is, it's mobs and mobs and mobs and crowds of people. But he handles his fame in, in such a beautiful way. And he is, it's reflective of how he handles actors on a set. He's a true egalitarian. If, mm. if you're craft service or you're the lead of his film, it's all the same. Everybody on that set has an equal place and an equal value. And he leads with that. And I, you know, we all just, you know, loved him so clearly because the way he acted, the way he was on the set was really, truly, and I don't say this lightly, first class. It was, he's a remarkable man and, and he's a true, true uh, leader, I think, in, in our community. He's the top of the top. Yeah. I remember listening to the director commentary and there's one shot where David Strathairn is giving this elaborate speech. He looks down back and then looks up and Clooney, you can tell like as an actor, he's so enraptured by it. He goes, look at that. That's the face of a bulldog. Like, <laughs> 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 David Strathairn, like, look at that, man. It's the face of a bulldog. No, he's he's a dreamboat. There's so many in Hollywood, but he's really like the dreamiest, I think, of them all. <laughs> Just because he's a good man. He's a very good soul. His heart is in the right place, and it always has been. Yeah. And he's very thankful for where he is, and it's how he truly treats people. And now he's married to this exceptional woman. I mean, this this you know of course he is of course he's married to this extraordinary woman <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> of <Activate>. course. 
She's wonderful. Her film is called Monica. Again, it's in theaters or available at home anywhere you watch films. Apple, iTunes, streaming, Amazon Prime, DirecTV. I still can't believe you're 63, by the way. You look phenomenal, and I'm a huge fan of yours. Patricia, thank you so much. You're a dream. Thank you. You're a dreamboat, too. <laughs> thank you. Thanks so much to Patricia Clarkson. As my friend Ben Lyons said, Patty. That's if you're really cool. You call her Patty, and you heard her a couple of times refer to herself in third person as Patty. I love her. I'm floating on air right now. Okay, the fact she called me a dreamboat. Are you kidding me? The divine and beautiful and exquisitely talented 63-year-old Patricia Clarkson called me a dreamboat. I love it. I love you, Patty. Back at you. Can't wait to have you back on the podcast. And Monica, you should all check out once again in theaters or wherever you watch your films. Thank you so much for checking out Cinefa. Flying solo here without my boy Cody. Hopefully he's back next week. What an episode next week. At the very least, I can tell you, I have already seen The Iron Claw and The Zone of Interest, and I will hopefully crank out Ferrari, The Boys in a Boat, maybe Mahershala's new film. That's on Netflix as well. That looks pretty good. Ethan Hawke, Julia Roberts. But I'll also cram it, I promise you, my top 10 films of 2023. Thank you, as always, for the support of Cinephile. I will continue to dominate David Sampson every Thursday in the Levitard Show, and I'll see you at the movies. Thank you.